So we're continuing on in our series today on the book of 1 John, and we've been going over this for a number of weeks. We're coming back to it once again this week, and um, if you were with us last week, you may have noticed that, that our sermon ended um, last time by looking at the, the fourth chapter of verses 1 through 6. Now we're in the fifth chapter of verses 1 through 5. That's a pretty big gap. Um, we didn't skip those. Um, we just relocated them. We actually have gone over those other verses, 7 through 21 of the fourth chapter, but we did it back around Valentine's Day. If you were here with us when we had the combined service with the Valley Church, um, it was Valentine's weekend, and so it seemed an appropriate theme. Uh, those verses uh, are just um, dripping with uh, insights and understanding about love. And so uh, we've already preached on those. If you haven't seen it or would like to see it again, it, I think it's the February 13th um, sermon. You can go to our website and find that. Uh, but just as a quick recap, the, the sort of the, the main points that we looked at was that idea that, that love is the key and love cares and it bears and it shares. Um, and you can find out more about that again on, on the website. Uh, but today we're going to continue on by looking at the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 5. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles or grab the Pew Bible in front of you. First um, uh, John near the end of the, uh, the New Testament. Keep your finger there in that fifth chapter as we're going to be uh, coming back to it throughout our time together. And it's sort of an introduction um, to this fifth chapter. Um, I, I know that most of you are already aware of this. Um, but one of the things um, that is uh, true about my, my personality and nature is I tend to be frugal um, in just the way I live life. Um, <clears throat> I refer to it as fiscally conservative. My, my family has another word for it, and I won't say the word, but it rhymes with peep. Um, and so, um, and there's lots of fun stories that we tell when we get together um, to demonstrate this particular aspect of my personality. One of those stories um, was an occasion probably about 15 years ago when we were still living in the Denver area. I had a grill. I love to grill, especially in the summer months. Um, love to do that, but this grill had just worn out. Um, it, it had seen better days. and So I'd replaced the burners, I'd replaced the igniter, done everything I could, and it was just time to, uh, to get rid of it. Um, but new grills are expensive, and I didn't want to have to invest that, but it just so happened that at the same moment that my other girl was dying, that in this neighborhood, they had what is called large item pickup day. Once a year there, you could set out large items on the curb, and the trash company would come around and pick those up, and large items like washers or dryers or refrigerators. Um, it, was, it was a great um, service that they offered. Well, on an adjacent Sid street next to ours, um, as I was driving to work, I noticed that there happened to be two kind of broken down old grills that had been set out um, to be discarded. And it just so happened that both of these grills were the same make and model. Well, I'm thinking the odds of them having the exact same things wrong are not, pretty, are not very good. And so I'll take these two, break them down, cannibalize them, and put them back together into one grill, which is what I did. And it ended up working out pretty good, lasted us another three or four years um, and I did buy a new grill after that. I didn't do this again, but it was sort of a fun venture. But that gives you a little bit of a, of a flavor um, for just my makeup. But even for me, Mr. Frugal, um, there does come a point when I realize you just can't repair, refurbish uh, kinds of things. Uh, I have a rule of thumb that when I have a vehicle, which I keep as long as I possibly can, that when I get to the point of replacing replacement parts, um, that it's time to consider a, a, another vehicle. So 
if I'm replacing the, the uh, water pump or the fuel pump or the alternator or the, uh, the radiator, there's not a lot that I can do on vehicles anymore, but I can do those. If I'm replacing those for the second or certainly for the third time, I need to begin to think uh, that maybe there's another vehicle that should be in my future. It's that sense of newness that I think John taps into as we look at our text today, because that's what he talks about, uh, newness in three different areas, new beliefs, new birth, and new behavior. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in our time together. Again, 1 John 5, keep your finger there. And we begin with this emphasis that John places on the importance of new belief, of new belief. He says there in that first uh, verse and the fifth verse of John, 1 John 5, these words, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John emphasizes here the importance of us entering and embracing that a mindset, a belief system that's different than the world in general. Now, in John's day, in Jesus' day, Paul's day, um, the Roman civilization pretty much covered all of the, the, the known world at that point, and they had a lot of emphasis on gods. There were lots and lots of gods throughout the Roman Empire. The main god, the, sort of the number one guy, was a gentleman named Jupiter. He was the equivalent to the Greek god of Zeus. And Jupiter was the chief Roman deity. He was the ruler over all of the other gods. In fact, he had a, a, a pretty impressive name that went with him. He, he was sometimes referred to as Optimus Maximus, um, which is a pretty cool name, I think. And so um, he was the main god, but not the only god. Um, after him would probably have been Neptune, the god of the ocean. Um, there was the god Pluto. Oh, no, wrong slide here. Um, <laughs> Pluto, who was god of the underworld. Um, there was Apollo, who was god of, of the sun and of music and of the fine arts. But there was a lot of other uh, pretty major gods. There was Mars, Cupid, Vulcan, Mercury. Um, and then beyond those, there were a lot of minor gods, hundreds of minor gods as well. And in fact, periodically a new god would appear all an attempt to try to um, uh, meet the, the want and fancy of all of the Roman people throughout uh, their empire. But when Jesus came along, he sort of changed things because he wasn't uh, just a modification of some previous gods. He was the God. You see, there is only one true God. And that's the God that we know that we're in relationship with. And yet for uh, those that were there in John's day, this was, was a radical new way of, of thinking. Even in Judaism, um, Jesus was not simply a, a great new prophet or a judge or, or a new rabbi that had come along. He was the Christ. And the, the Greek here, the word is Christos, which means Messiah or the anointed one. The one who had been long anticipated by the Jewish people, but, but it had been so long at this point that I think they'd almost lost hope in his appearance. And so to believe in Jesus was a, was a radical step, a radical step in, in the world then, and it continues to be a radical step in our world today. Jesus was the definition and embodiment of God's love, the conduit of grace and of mercy and forgiveness, but also one who was a God of justice and righteousness. Jesus was humble and yet mighty. He was compassionate and yet direct. He spoke of God's forgiveness, but also of God's judgment for those who did not accept 
uh, God's gift of mercy and salvation. And then humanity, um, what we find is that we experience uh, typically lives where we want to try to put God in a box, but Jesus wasn't a God that could be put in a box. He was outside the box. He was the maker of the box. He was the one that was over the box. You see, even in our gods, we want to be able to define them. We want to be able to, to control them. We want to be really kind of in charge. But Jesus wasn't one that applied to because he was God of the universe. He was greater and wiser and more powerful than anything that we could imagine. And even more startling than those things is what the slide indicates there, that that, that believing in him meant not trusting in ourselves, which is just a part of our human nature, isn't it? We so desperately want to, to, to look to our abilities and our intelligence and our accomplishments, and yet to be a follower of Jesus meant we put those aside and instead put our attention, our trust in him and in him alone. We need to embrace those words that John the Baptist had experienced in his own life and described in this way, he being Jesus must become greater and I must become less. And yet again, this is so contrary to our innate nature intuitively we want to put that that faith that trust in ourselves and and guys i think this is especially true for us and not just because of how we're wired um as humanity but but i think it is a result of our culture and what we're we're taught we tend to put our faith in whatever we can attain and what we can achieve and what we can accomplish and we tend to view success as something that comes about because of what we've done, which means that we're always striving to do something more, always striving to accomplish something more because it's all on our shoulders. It's all up to us. But Jesus set us free from that. Jesus gave us the ability to move beyond that where we don't have to rely on ourselves and on our actions. That verse that we've looked at several times Uh, over the last few weeks is a great reminder as we hear these words of of Paul in Ephesians 2. For it's by grace, God's grace, that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. And how wonderful that news is that it doesn't have to just rely on us, that we don't have to be, uh, going back to the beginning of the service, one of those 262 people who, who make it, and not the thousands that don't. That we don't have to look to ourselves, but instead that we trust in God and His grace. And what we find is that that authentic peace that we're all looking for, that genuine contentment, that joy, uh, can only be experienced through God and not uh, through other people or other things of this world. And so Jesus brought with Him this sense of call, this command to trust fully in Him and in Him alone, not in other gods. Not in armies, not in political uh, leaders, or even in other uh, religious authorities, but in the one who started as a babe in a manger, became a carpenter, and then ultimately lived among us as the Messiah, as the anointed one. And so we're called to embrace this, this new belief that Jesus alone can provide for us. But it doesn't stop there. As we embrace this belief, we, we see that there's transformation that occurs because in our lives we experience new birth. We are born again, which is exactly what John writes in the first and in the fourth verses with these words. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
For everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. John reminds us that to be followers, especially if we want to be disciples of Jesus, that we have to be born again. And it comes out of the, the teaching or the, the incident that we read about that John's already wrote in, written about in his gospel, uh, John in the third chapter, where there's, there's this uh, exchange that takes place between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And let me just read it to you. It comes out of John, the third chapter, verses 1 and 4 and then 7 and 8. Uh, but hear what John writes about that. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God was not with them. Now, let me just pause to say, oftentimes they would sort of try to set up Jesus with words like that, compliments, only because they were looking to trick him. That's not the case with Nicodemus. He truly uh, realizes that there's something unique about Jesus. Picking up in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can they be born again when you're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And then going down to verse 7, Jesus says, You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. <clears throat> now, this was, um, again, a new belief for Nicodemus. This was a new way of thinking things because Nicodemus was one who was a follower of the law, as all the Jewish leaders were of that day which meant everything was focused on the external. It was all about what you did, um, what happened outside, not what took place inside. And so he's thinking in terms of that, of the external, the physical, the, the outward change. And so, so as he's thinking this or hearing this, he's probably going through his mind, well, well how do I see that lived out? Does that mean that, that I need to, to find out about some kind of new sacrifice that's going to be offered at the temple? Or, or, or maybe um, there's a new set of commands or laws that I need to, uh, to embody that's come from this, this rabbi. Or maybe there's this new kind of fasting that I need to put into practice. All external. But Jesus says the, the change isn't going to be external. It's going to be internal. Internal in ways that are going to transform our lives, our entire selves. And then he uses the analogy of, of the wind, and he says, just as you, you can't see where it's come from or where it's going or how it works, you see its effects. And he said to Nicodemus, and he says to us as well, we may not understand everything about how God is working, and God's ways are not our ways. They are mysterious to me oftentimes. But I can see the effects. I can see how lives are changed. I can see how peace is restored uh, to those who struggle with that. I can see how individuals are set free uh, from addictions and other problems and struggles they might have. Because God is doing a mighty work on the inside. Uh, the picture on the screen here is of a gentleman named Richard. Richard lives in Wales uh, in, in England. And uh, Richard, at the age of, of shortly after uh, 20, in his early 20s, uh, found himself in prison in Wales. He was in prison because he had committed um, um, aggravated assault, burglary, and was a drug addict. Now, this environment wasn't uh, new to Richard. He had been arrested 30 times before 
um, and so had pretty much resigned himself that this, this was just how life was going to be. Uh, but after he had been back in prison at this particular time um, for uh, a couple of months, he decided he was going to go to a chapel service that they had there in the prison, not because he was religious or wanted to know anything about God. He was just looking for some kind of new setting that he could get to for a, a couple of hours a week. But he did find that every time he left after the, the chapel service, that he always felt a little bit better about things. After he'd come two or three times, the, the chaplain there in the prison came to him and, and asked him if he wanted a Bible. And he said, no, thank you, I already have a Bible. You see, every prisoner took a Bible when they came to prison because the thin pages in a Bible, they were perfect to use as a, as a wrapping for making your own kind of homemade cigarettes. And so the, the prisoners would always accept that. And one day as Richard's preparing to, uh, to put together a cigarette and, and to light it up, he hears a voice, not an audible voice, but God speaking in his heart. And it said simply this, before you rip out the page, read it. Before you rip out the page, read it. So he thought he'd do that. And he read one page, and then the next page, and then another page, and another page, and then in the coming months, he read through the entirety of the Bible, or at least that which hadn't been used for cigarette wrappers um, up to that point. And in that process, and in going to the chapel services and God's Spirit uh, working in his life, he gave his life to Jesus. He embraced those new beliefs, and he was truly born again. Now, your story and my story are not the same as Richard's story, but we all have a story. You see, Richard went from this point, once he got out of prison, and actually went to seminary. He now runs a ministry there in Wales that, that ministered to those who are in prison and those who are drug addicts. God may not have that same plan for you, but you have a story. Each and every one of us do. And so what we see is that God's desire is to do something equally astounding in our lives. And he's maybe already done that or certainly is in process of doing that with you. To be born again or to be reborn means that we begin that process of becoming new creations in Christ. It's described in this way by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not like my old grills that's been recycled or, or, or refurbished or, or, or cannibalized. We're brand new creations in him. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we see it impacting every area of our lives. We're, we're, we're new creations in terms of our thoughts. No longer are we consumed by guilt or shame for things that we've done in the past. We're new creations in what we say. No longer do we feel like we have to boast or brag or make ourselves look good to the expense of others in order to be popular. Because God now is the one that we desire to please more than anything else. And in fact, our goal becomes, rather than, than building ourselves up to, to not only embrace and worship and love God, but, but to try to be a conduit of, of his love to others around us. To remind them that, that God loves them just as much as he loves us, that his desire, his plan for them is one of extraordinary things just as it is for each and every one of us. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes about it this way. He says, do not let any, un, any, do not let any unwholesome Talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building 
others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. One of the great things about being a disciple is not only does, does God come into our lives, not only are we uh, filled with a new set of beliefs and, and, and a new birth, but he then uses us to be a conduit of blessings to those that are a part of our worlds. So we have this idea of, of new beliefs. We have this idea, John writes about, of, of new uh, birth. And then he ends by talking about how that leads ultimately then to new behavior. In First John, the fifth chapter, verses 2 and 3, he writes this. This is how we know that we love the children of God, or the believers, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. You know, it's interesting that that obedience to God happens both organically, kind of naturally on its own, as well as the result of deliberate choice on our part. Now, that seems a little bit conflicting. How can it be natural on its own as well as as something that we have to be deliberate about? But, But both of those things are at play. When we become Christians and as the Spirit fills us, we find more and more we yearn to do those things that are pleasing to God those things that, uh, that would bring honor to his name, those things that, uh, that would draw us closer into our relationship with him. And if you look at, at individuals, whether it be Richard that we just talked about or, or others, and I think here of, of some of the greats of the faith, you read their writings or you hear their stories of people like St. Augustine or Martin Luther or, or George Washington or Adoniram Judson or Amy Carmichael or C.S. Lewis or Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or on the list goes. You read the writings of their lives. Some of them came from um, pretty carnal lifestyles prior to this. And as they invited Jesus in, there was a transformation that took place. And oftentimes, uh, they could barely keep up with the Spirit. The Spirit's moving ahead of them, and they can't read the Bible enough. They can't pray enough. They can't uh, interact on God's behalf often enough to, to let other people know about Him. But without exception, these same people and others that we know as well as within our own hearts, also had times and seasons um, when they didn't quite feel that sense of enthusiasm, when they continued to read the Bible. And they continued to pray, and they continued to have times of fellowship because they knew that that's what God was calling them to, uh, not necessarily because they were excited about uh, getting up early to spend time with God on that day. Both of these things were a part of, those li- of their lives, and both of these things are a part of our lives. There is that, that side of us that, that's drawn into that relationship with God that's so exciting, um, that, that we so yearn for, but there's also those times when out of faithfulness, out of obedience to Him, we take those steps because we know it's what God would have us to do. For every individual, I think there's, uh, there's seasons in our life where we, where we have to persevere where we have to choose Jesus. In fact, I would say every single day we have to choose Jesus. In a world that surrounds us with alternatives to Christ, every day we have to choose him. Every day we have to recommit ourselves to being a faithful follower of his. And just as they made a choice, so we have to make a choice as well. Every single day. In Romans 12, uh, 1, we read these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's nothing that God loves more than the worship of his people. 
And the, one of the ways that we demonstrate that is every day presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. New belief, new birth, new behavior, all of these things John talks about as a, a part of that process that we go as, as disciples and followers of Jesus. Let me wrap up with one last illustration and then I'll, I'll close this portion of our service. There's a legend, and I, don't, I couldn't find out if it's true, maybe just a legend, but there's a, a legend that's told about uh, that great military leader, Alexander the Great, um, an extraordinary uh, conqueror of, of many places. And on, on one particular occasion, um, he caught word that there was a soldier, uh, part of one of his armies, that was not fighting bravely enough. Now, the guy wasn't um, a coward. He didn't run away from the battlefield, but, but all, about all he would do is just hold the ground. When they, when they moved forward, he could hold the ground they had taken, but he wasn't all that enthusiastic about moving forward and conquering new ground and defeating new foes. One of the commanders told uh, Alexander the Great about this, and so he sought out this uh, particular soldier, and he confronted him, and he went up to the soldier and got pretty close to his face, and he said, what's your name, soldier? And the man replied, my name, sir, is Alexander. And then the general got even closer, and with fire in his eyes, said firmly to the, to the individual soldier, from this moment forward, when you find yourself in battle, I want you to fight with everything that you have. Or change your name. You see, the, the great general took pride in that name. It represented bravery and, and um, a, a commitment and um, a, an unwavering dedication to the task. And if the soldier wasn't going to be that kind of fighter, then he didn't want him uh, being associated with the, the name that he had. Well, folks, we're not in, in the military, we're not called to fight on the battlefield. But there is a name that we take on. It's the name of Christian. And we need to live in a way that, that um, honors the expectations that go with that. We are called to a different standard. We are called to a different walk. It's not an easy one. Nowhere in this book does it say it's easy. But it's worth it. It's worth it because there's a joy and the contentment and the satisfaction that, that comes that we will not find anywhere else in the world. And so may we live up to that name. May we not only embrace it, but may we live up to it in a way that honors God, that builds his kingdom, and that nourishes our spirit as well. Amen.